Welcome back to another episode of CSO What You Need to Know. I'm Patty Pan in the Office of Community Affairs here at the Cherokee Sheriff's Office. October is Domestic Violence Awareness Month, so this episode will focus on domestic violence, maybe debunk the many myths surrounding it, and hopefully give our community some insight into this very serious and widespread problem that affects millions of people every year, especially women, but not only limited to women. Joining me today are the CSO's victim advocates, Sandy Rowe and Jackie Trapani. Jackie, let's hear a little bit about your career and how you got to where you are today. Okay, so um, I'm originally from Florida. In 2009, I graduated from Florida Atlantic University with a social work degree. I interned at the Palm Beach County Sheriff's Office, so I got a little bit of a glimpse of what victim advocacy was, and I, I kind of just fell in love with the job. Um, and I then got hired at a domestic violence shelter where I worked for over eight years. And then I moved to Georgia and I got this position. So I've been doing this victim advocacy job for over 14 years now. So I kind of feel like you've seen both sides. You've seen the shelter side and that portion of it and now this side. And you've done that also before. But here at the Sheriff's Office, now you're a victim advocate. So yes. So you can relate to both. Yes, I can. Yeah. And Sandy, what about you? I obtained my degree from what was North Georgia College at the time is now University of North Georgia in criminal justice. And I, it was not my original plan to go into criminal justice. I just took an elective and I really loved it and felt that that was kind of my calling. So I was actually a police officer for seven years. So I saw the other side of it. And after having my children, I decided to stay at home with them for a while. And when I came back, the sheriff's office was a really good place to start. And the victim advocates position came available and since I already knew basically the domestic violence side on the other side I felt like this was the next step for me. So do you think there's a difference when you're talking to victims being from either being a certified or a sworn officer versus being a civilian? I think that just portraying or just letting them know that I'm a civilian at this point helps them to open up to me more because I think with it being a when they're talking to a police officer, they're a lot more guarded than they are just with a victim advocate. Okay. Somebody that's there on their side, regardless of what they decide to do with a criminal case. Mm-hmm. And Jackie, you kind of feel the same? I do, I do. And I, I think that working both sides, I was able to see how the domestic violence shelters work, as well as law enforcement. And we're all here to do the same thing, is to make sure that the victim is safe and that there's justice. What exactly is a victim's advocate? So at CSO, uh, we pull every single report that comes in, and we pull out the ones that uh, would benefit from having a victim advocate give some resources or answer any questions that they may have, because it could be a really overwhelming process. We are usually the first ones who are touching base with the victim before the court system does. So when this victim advocate this title this includes basically domestic violence it could be really any victim right is that right sandy it's any victim of a violent crime or a a personal crime it's not something where if your car was stolen or your home was broken into we don't focus on that our resources are for true victims of crime so they've been either injured or threatened that sort of thing okay um How many reports are we talking about in a day or in a week? Uh, Average uh, daily, we have about 30 to 40 reports that we read. 
And you go through every one of them. You read every single one of them, yes. And then follow up with the the ones that we think would benefit from having a victim advocate call them, yes. And if it is an open case, then we wait to see what investigator is assigned to it, and then we work with that investigator and see how they want us to approach the victim. And a lot of times they'll want to interview the victim, and so they will have us sit in with them so that they're not. You know, just with if they've been abused by a male, if it's a female, she's been abused by male. They may not want a male just in the room with him alone. So we will sit with them for that interview. And both of you are civilians. Is that correct? Yes, correct. And how do you think that portion of your position plays in these cases to be a civilian and to be sitting down with these victims? I think it's really helpful because we're not there to investigate the crime. We're there to help them. We're there to give supportive contact and kind of help them navigate the system because it could get very overwhelming. Um, we give as many resources as we possibly can. We also accompany them to court. So even if it's not the criminal case, we'll still accompany them to the TPO hearing or the temporary protection order hearing. Um, we will get them hooked up with the right community resources, which we all work really closely together and answer any questions that they may have. And these are new positions, aren't they, Sandy? They're relatively new. What, probably four years or so? A little over four years, yeah. Our captain, Captain Hands, actually helped create the Victim Advocate Program. Obviously seeing that there was a need for it. Right. So he's very supportive. Which brings me to my next question. Obviously, this is, you know, we're doing this because of Domestic Violence Awareness Month in the month of October. Right. Define domestic violence for people who may not really truly understand what it is. I think uh, when you think of domestic violence, you automatically think of physical, which, yes, it can be physical as well. The bruises, um, the marks on the body, the hitting, the slapping, the strangulation part. But there's also verbal abuse, emotional abuse, sexual abuse. There's also technology abuse. Um, which is one of the newest ones because of the social media, the phones. Um, There's also financial abuse, isolation. So there's so many different avenues of domestic violence, and they all play a part usually in a survivor's life. Which do you see is more prevalent here? In, in or in this society at this point? Is, do you think it's the technological one or the financial one? I think it's a little bit of everything, yes. But the criminal aspect um, usually is physical because that's where the law comes in, is when the marks are on the body, the, the physical abuse. You had mentioned TPOs, Temporary Protective Order. What exactly is that? The Temporary Protective Order is a civil order, a civil court case where they the victim can ask for separation from the offender so that they're not allowed within 500 feet of them. They're not allowed to return to the residence. They are sometimes ordered to continue to pay child support or to pay for insurance, to pay the home mortgage, because a lot of times an offender will hold that over the victim of you can't make it without me. So this is a process by which they're still made to separate from that victim to keep the victim safe, but they're still made to keep the financial responsibilities that they had. Now, what is the difference between that and what I've heard special conditions bond? Are they the same thing? Somewhat. So the TPO is a civil case. The special conditions of bond are put in place during the first appearance, where if they get a bond, the magistrate judge will put special conditions of bond in place for when they do get bonded out. So it's 
almost the same thing, but it's the judge putting the special conditions of bond on the perpetrator, not a civil case. So one is criminal and one is civil, correct? Yes, and the special conditions of bond are good up until the criminal case is over. Once the criminal case is over, those special conditions of bond are dropped. So that's why we uh, suggest getting a TPO for that extra layer of protection. One of my questions when I started thinking about this whole topic, what happens when there's a he said, she said? How does that work? If I want to take a TPO out on someone, you know, this person, I'm telling you that he's been stalking me. Do I need proof? Do I need, can I just go and just get a TPO for anyone that I say is stalking me? So we usually refer them to Cherokee Family Violence Center, which helps with the TPOs. And they will get a legal advocate who will accompany them to court. And we will go as well, but we don't speak to the judge. We just go for support. Um, With those type of cases, whatever evidence that they have would be great, but you will be able to tell your side of the story and the perpetrator would be able to tell his or her side of the story and then the judge determines whether or not there's a need for that temporary protection order. And we've talked about domestic violence being, you know, most of the victims that we hear about are women, but that's not necessarily always true. Is that right? Right. Domestic violence doesn't discriminate. It doesn't matter your gender, your race, your economical status. It doesn't discriminate. So we we help men and women of domestic violence. How often do you see children involved in these cases? Quite often, unfortunately. Most of the cases do have children involved. Not necessarily that they've been physically abused, but that they are witnessing one parent or the other be abused. And domestic violence is a learned behavior. So normally they grew, uh, a perpetrator grew up in that type of household or they witnessed it, they were abused themselves, and they think that this is what a normal relationship should be. So it's a learned behavior. So we try to break the cycle and help the kids as much as possible and give them the resources that they need so that they don't grow up either getting into an abusive relationship or becoming an abuser themselves. Right. And I actually sat in on an interview with a victim. She and her husband both grew up in abusive homes. He grew up to be the abuser and she grew up to be the abused. So they mirrored those behaviors that they grew up with. We had talked about women being more seen as the victim, but there are men how many cases do you see and what do you think is the issue with men being the victims maybe not coming forward because of the image that that would portray it's possible it's possible a lot of times the men are the breadwinners so they have more access to resources uh, than some women do that could be the possibility Um, but no matter what we're going to help the victim no matter the gender and we're going to do the same thing for either male or female must be heartbreaking when you're, I mean, it's heartbreaking just in general, but when kids are involved, young kids who don't know any better, and maybe this is the norm for them. Right, it is. And we try to educate the victims so that they understand what domestic violence looks like, because sometimes they don't realize that they are in that type of domestic violence relationship. And so we try to do education, because I think that's key. Domestic violence, obviously, for many, it's a very taboo subject. Maybe it's cultural, you know, it's a thing that people talk about behind closed doors. Do you think that has changed over the years, especially with social media nowadays? I think so. I think the information and the education is out there more than it was before. Yes. I think it definitely helps, but I do think that there are still a lot of people that either they 
they grew up in a culture where they didn't trust law enforcement that they came out to arrest them so they don't you know report and sometimes it is that they're embarrassed and they don't report but i think certainly putting it out there and getting the resources and letting them know there are resources helps to bring people forward and know that they're not alone that there are resources out there to help and that's probably one of the reasons that we're doing this podcast to get the word out and let people know that there is help out there yes right jackie you had talked about education let's talk about that a little bit so some of the resources that we give the victims uh, would be Cherokee Family Violence Center, which is our main hub in Cherokee County for domestic violence. They have a shelter, they have transitional housing, they have groups, uh, counseling groups. They also offer help with TPOs. Um, they have le- uh, legal advocates that will help file and represent you free in court. So we do refer them to Cherokee Family Violence Center. We also have victim compensation, which is through the state, and that will help pay for free counseling, uh, medical bills due to the incident, uh, loss of wages. There's also funeral costs um, and the crime scene cleanup. Right. So we will give the phone number uh, to the district attorney's office who handles filing them and they will answer any questions that they have as far as the victim compensation. But it is very helpful because some people don't have the means and won't go to the hospital or go in an ambulance to the hospital due to medical bills. But if they know that those will get taken care of, they're more likely to go get checked out. Right. And with the strangulation and what we always tell our victims, even though you don't see a mark there, there could be underlying issues that you don't see that could be potentially fatal. So we always encourage them to go and get that medical attention. What are some of the biggest obstacles you've seen from your victims? Why they don't come forward? I think a lot of times it's fear. Because even though we have resources and we have temporary protective orders and we have special conditions of bond, they know, we know, it is a piece of paper. So they are still afraid if that offender is out on the streets and they can still get to them. A lot of times they will go back to that offender just to try to protect themselves. You know, dealing with these cases on a daily basis with the stuff you see, the stuff you hear, how do you guys disconnect The lunchtime is really helpful to just get an hour to decompress and not really think about the horrible things that we just read. And um, Sandy and I have a really good relationship and we we lean on each other a lot, which is really, really helpful. Uh, Also not bringing it home with us, bringing the work home with you, you're gonna get burned out really fast. That's true. And we are very fortunate that we have a nice big parking lot so we can take out of our side door and go walk the parking lot <laughs> and just decompress. So self-care mm-hmm. for any type of um, social work job is definitely key. I can't imagine doing what you guys do. Um, can it get frustrating sometimes when you're talking to a victim and you want to help them, but they have to help themselves first, right? And to connect with them in that way, explaining to them how important it is for them to do that. Does it get frustrating? It it can. You can't uh, take it personally. You can't take it personally. And um, we give as many resources as we can. We educate them. But I always tell them, you make the best decisions in your life. I can't do that for you. I'm here to help guide you. And I'm here to support you, but I'm not here to tell you what to do. And that's the whole thing about domestic violence, right? You're getting told what to do. The last thing they need is someone else stepping in their lives and telling them what they they need to do. Correct. And we also know that 
a victim typically will leave seven times before they leave for good. So we keep that in the back of our mind. We don't take that personally. We just do our best to give them the resources that are out there. And like she said, they have to make that decision. And, and let them know that we're here no matter what. Right. So even if they do end up going back and something else happens, they always have our phone numbers and they can always give us a call. All right. Now with those challenges, you must find your job also rewarding at times. We do. We love getting cards from victims. Um, I got one from the victim's little girl thanking her. Uh, we actually did the the Christmas Joy program. I referred one of my victims and her child to the Christmas Joy program, and they absolutely loved it. And the little girl came back to my office and gave me a card and thanked me. And so it makes the job worth it. It definitely does. I actually got a call recently from a victim that I had over a year ago, and she called because she's like, I'm finally at a good place, and I just wanted to thank you for being there. Jackie and I had attended court with her for her temporary protective order, and she just appreciated it. And So it's nice when you get those. That's amazing. We had talked about the CSO being one of the few agencies, at least in our area that we know of, that have people like the two of you. Right. How important do you think it is to have people like you in, in these other jurisdictions, other police departments, other agencies? I think it's really important. It's through certainly through no fault of the court system. It's just overloaded, and COVID certainly didn't help with that backlog. So sometimes it can be a few weeks before a victim advocate at the court system would be able to contact them, and that's time that they don't really know what to do or what resources are out there. So I think it's important that we generally call them within 72 hours. It depends because if the case comes in on a Friday night, we don't get that report until Monday, but they're at least getting a call pretty quickly. And not that I want to, you know, toot our own horns here, but, you know, it's pretty awesome that the CSO has you guys and felt that there was a need for advocates um, like the two of you. Which brings me to my next question. If someone is listening to this podcast and thinks they could be a victim or know someone, a loved one, a friend who could be in a situation that would require some help. What can they do? What should they do? That has to be up to the individual. But if they don't feel comfortable contacting law enforcement, Cherokee Family Violence is available with a hotline for 24 hours a day. And they can reach them at 770-479-1703. And again, it's a 24-hour hotline. So they would be able to remain anonymous and get some help. They do have a legal advocacy there that may be able to, to give them at least safety plans and what their legal rights are. And as we've said, October is Domestic Violence Awareness Month. The importance of having a month dedicated to this. What are your thoughts? I think it's really important because domestic violence is something that people don't want to talk about. It's not something that is, you know, joyful and we just tend to ignore it if, unless you're right in the middle of it. So it's important to let those victims know that we know that they're out there and that they are important, that we're there and there are resources. And in our community, we hold a candlelight vigil every year as far as I know at least in the last few years what's the importance of holding a vigil like that oftentimes the news talks about the offender and you have their name and you know who they are but the victims don't really have a voice and their families don't really have an outlet so the vigil puts up a silhouette of every victim I believe it's in the U.S. if I'm not or is it in the in Georgia, Georgia. And so they put their names out there and they are read at that vigil. So that victim is 
honored or memorialized instead of it being about the offender it's about the victim I think that's really important and every year obviously the numbers grow it's probably hard to see that every year you go and and the community turns out for this and you see the silhouettes more and more silhouettes that's got to be hard it is what would you say to the community about these vigils they should come out they why should they come out Well, not only do we have the vigil, we also have tables with information. And so you get to meet the people who are there for the resources, and you get to uh, get pamphlets and and talk to them and see what's out there, just in case you do know someone who has been a victim of domestic violence, or maybe you yourself is a victim of domestic violence. So since we talked about the vigil, when is this year's vigil and where? It's going to be October 24th uh, in downtown Woodstock. The vigil is going to start at 6 p.m., but there will be information tables uh, before that. So if you'd like to come uh, see what resources are in Cherokee County, come out before 6 p.m. Right, and for all the details as to exactly where everything will be set up, check the Sheriff's Office website or the Cherokee Family Violence website at cfvc.org. The main message you want people to walk away with from this podcast about domestic violence is? Well, I think not a lot of people know that there are victim advocates out there and that there are resources and that you do not have to stay. Thank you both so much for your insight and your time today and basically letting our community know about such an important topic in our community. And to our listeners, we hope this was both helpful and informational. Thank you for spending your time with us. And as always, till next time, have a great day and be safe.